All right, take your Bibles and go to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, as you do, um, we're going to continue in our series, The Tales of the Kingdom, as we look at the parables of our Lord. As you turn there, let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for your holy and inspired word, and as we approach the text this morning, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that truly can understand We cannot understand unless the Holy Spirit prepares our hearts and does the work within us. We have nothing that we bring to the table that can bring salvation, that can transform our lives. We are totally totally dependent upon the work of the Spirit and the power of your word. And so I pray that uh, you would do that work within us. I pray that you would um, anoint the preaching of your word with power and that Christ will be exalted, that the gospel will be made known, and uh, that we will rejoice in it. We ask for cleansing of our hearts and our minds and remove distractions and those things that would um, rise up to prevent us from hearing the truth. And uh, we love you. We thank you for Christ and for all that you have done for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word. The title of the message today is The Sower and the Soil, and we're going to be reading Matthew 13, verse 3 through 9, and then 18 through 23. The Bible says, And he, Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. Now go to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but who the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we come to this text, we are reminded that just in verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 13, he tells us that a huge crowd had gathered around Jesus beside the sea. And so as the crowd grew, he got into a boat and he pushed out. He pushed out from the beach and he then sat, which the position of sitting was usually the position of the teacher. It was a position that demonstrated authority. And as he sat, he began to teach. He began to speak to the people. And what he did is he was, he used the surrounding hills and the water upon which his voice would reflect and bounce off of. And he used the breeze to project and carry his voice so that the audience could hear. And Matthew writes in verse 3 that he told them many things in parables. We have already defined what parables are, but parables are stories that illustrated spiritual truth about salvation and the kingdom of God. They're not morals. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not proverbs. Uh, they're, they're not fables. 
that Jesus gave, and then the audience gets to interpret whatever they think the parable means. Uh, to the contrary, they were earthly stories with spiritual meanings. They were stories that illustrated truth specifically about salvation and the kingdom of God. And that Jesus gives is uh, would have struck familiar chords with the audience that resonate even with us today. Granted, most of us don't go out into our yard or into the field and plant seeds or whatnot, but what we do, it, what most of us do probably is we place our Walmart order and we wait for it to be delivered, or we go pick it up, or we may still go and, you know, peruse the aisles and collect our food that way. But the point being is all of us understand how food comes about. And uh, this would have been very familiar with a people that were in an agricultural society. And so all around them, there as they stood at the beach listening to Jesus, would have been the hills and the fields. And they would have easily, even within their own eyesight, would have been farmers sowing seed in their fields. And so notice that Jesus in verse 3, he begins just with that very familiar statement, a sower went out to sow. And he proceeds to explain what took place. And so plowed fields in Palestine did not have barbed wire fences or or even stone walls. They would have, or, or cobbled roads. They would have been surrounded with footpaths. And so with a seed bag wrapped around a sower's neck, that field, he would have reached into his bag, he pulled handfuls of seed, and he would have seed out into the field. Paul. We're having All right, can you hear me now? All right. Let's see if I can fix it. Don't count this time against me. I did. All right. So imagine with me a farmer out in a field with a bag full of seed around his neck, against his waist, and he would walk carefully through that field. He'd grab the seeds a handful at a time, and he would throw, he would cast that seed. And measured in pace, the sower would disperse the seed, covering the plowed field. Though the field was plowed and it was ready, the Lord tells us that the seed would have fallen upon different types of soil. And so as you look at the text, it says, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And then he proceeds to tell us that other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. But other seed fell on good soil took root, produced grain, and that harvest that they experienced was a plentiful harvest. And so I want you to notice there in those verses that there are four types of soil where the seed would fall. Some fell on the hard footpath that had been trodden down, beaten down by traffic. Much like a trail, a, a, a path on a trail that we would take walking through the woods. It is beaten down. It is hard. It, it, nothing can really get down into it. The seed that fell on that ground would just roll and the, and, and sit there and birds would come and devour. Other seed fell on shallow, rocky ground. Beneath what seemed to be good soil was limestone and rocks that prevented the seed from driving down roots into the soil. We've all had a garden, or perhaps you've been out in your yard and you've tried to dig a hole or begin to till land and, and or the land, and what comes up is you begin to realize you're hitting rock, you're hitting limestone. This would have been very much uh, the case at times uh, in Palestine. 
And so though there were sprouts that immediately came up, they came up quickly because they weren't deep into the ground. And so what would happen is those anything that popped up would be scorched by the sun and withered away. The third soil that Jesus talks about is weed infested. That is, weed would frustrate any attempt for a crop. We all know how frustrating weeds can be, thorns can be. It, it prevents our efforts because they're subtle, but they're quick. And anytime you plant, you know that there are going to be weeds that will grow up with the plant, with the crop. And so soon what happens is though anything that pops up is choked and the sprouting plant or crop is prevented from producing any real lasting fruit and it is destroyed and, and unable to produce any potential harvest. And so we have three soils that are bad, but then Jesus describes the good soil. Some seed fell on good soil, took root, and brought forth life, grew into grain, and produced a huge harvest. Now, it was a great story, right? So we've summarized it. it. But it was intended to be far more than a gardening 101 class. That is not why the people gathered there on that beach, on the shoreline, is to simply hear Jesus talk about how to plant and how to grow crops. And so, and so Jesus knew that. And if you look at verse 9, notice what he says. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus understood that they didn't come just to hear this story. And so when he says, he, let him, he, he who has ears, let him hear. That would be our modern equivalent of saying, pay attention, listen, look beyond the story to the true meaning that is behind every image that is given in the story. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 8 verse 18, what you'll see is Jesus says to the audience, take heed how you hear. See his command? It gives insight to the real intent. And it brings the question, what were they to hear? What were they supposed to understand? What was the meaning of this parable? It is a tale of the kingdom that says something about salvation and how we, all people that hear the word of God, how we are to respond to the word of God the gospel message. But isn't it intriguing that no one asked? No one asked what he meant except the disciples. In Luke's gospel, they actually, after Jesus gives his reason to, it's why he teaches in parables, the disciples said, okay, explain to us, what do you mean in the parable of the sower? And so there are two things this morning that we need to see to clearly understand this parable. And Jesus begins this explanation in verse 18. But there are two things I want you to get in the very beginning. One is the sower and the seed. We need to understand who the sower is and what the seed is. To sow, what does it mean to sow? Well, to sow is to distribute, to implant. And it symbolizes teaching. And specifically here, it is Jesus who has been teaching the truths of the kingdom, the message of salvation, the message of faith and repentance. And so to sow is to teach the word of God. And listen, the one who who does this is the sower. So yes, Jesus is actually speaking of himself because he is the one that is teaching the word of God. You see that in Matthew 4, verse 23, where it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, listen, teaching in their synagogues. And what was he teaching? What was he proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So if we're going to understand the essence of this parable, we have to first understand that the sower is the one who teaches the word of God. So more broadly what we would say is that the sower is anyone who distributes the seed. Are you with me? The one who proclaims the word of God and the good news of the gospel. It is the person who is dispersing the word and the gospel message 
of salvation that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. Spreading seed can be something that ranges from teaching a class in vacation Bible school to witnessing to your neighbor or coworker to sharing the gospel as our youth and the leaders who went on the mission trip just this past week to Clarkson, Georgia. What was going on down there? Seed was being planted. The seed of the gospel, the message of salvation, the truth of redemption. That's sowing seed. And so every time the word of God is taught, shared, or proclaimed, the seed of God's truth is falling upon what? Not on the ground, but on hearts. Even this morning, what is being preached is falling on your heart this morning. The word is being sown. And so we see then that the seed is the word of God. The seed is nothing less than the saving message of the gospel. The seed that Jesus is talking about is the message of the kingdom. The truth about the king who left his throne in heaven to come to earth, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, to rescue sinners from sin and eternal wrath, and to make those sinners his people by giving them new hearts. That's the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is who he is, what he has done, and what it means to follow Jesus. That's the message of the kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, do you hear that? But of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so scripture, the word of God, is always symbolized with the image of a seed. The word falls upon the hearts of those that listen. But here's the reality. The primary focus of this parable is not on the sower or the seed. What's the primary focus of the parable? The soil. That's the primary focus of the soil. It's not about the sower, about his giftedness, how skilled he is on grabbing the seed and dispersing it. It's not on his ability, his appearance, how his style. It's not on any of that. Your job and my job is to speak and share the gospel. The results are determined not by you and me, but on the word of God falling upon the soil upon which it lands. And so the primary focus of this parable is not on the sower or the seed. It's on the soil upon which the seed falls. And what does the soil represent? The heart. Look, look at the text. In fact, if you notice what he says there, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. Where has it been sown? In his heart. So the real issue that this parable is getting at is the condition of the hearts of those that hear. It's not a question of can you hear? They could hear. It's not a question of can you see, but simply hearing something and seeing something is not enough. What was the problem that is illustrated in Isaiah that Jesus quotes in chapter 13 and verse 15? He says, this people's heart, what is it? Their heart has grown dull, dull. and with their ears they can barely hear, they, with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with what? Their heart. Proverbs 4 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows, it, from it flows the springs of life. In other words, this parable is given, listen, because Jesus intends for this audience to consider the state of their hearts. In other words, this parable, which is really the parable of all the parables, to understand this parable is to understand everything else Jesus will teach in the form of parable. In other words, this parable is a spiritual EKG. It is a heart scan. And his intention is for those that hear, 
to consider the state of their heart. And here's the clear kingdom truth of the parable. The key kingdom truth is this. The condition of the heart determines how we respond to the word of God. I want us to let that fall upon us for just a moment. The condition of the heart determines how we respond to the word of God. What is the condition of your heart this morning? What is the condition of your heart? And by looking at the four soils that Jesus gives, you're going to find that your heart is one of these soils. Let's look at each of them. The first soil that we want to see is the hardened soil. The hard paths. So here, we're going to see the condition of the heart determines how we respond to the word of God. How we respond to the word of the kingdom. And the first soil, which was the hard path, it is symbolic of a hardened heart. Look at verse 19. He says, here then, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom uh, and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is what happened when the seed was thrown and it just landed and rolled on that hard, beaten, trodden path. Even if there was a crack in the ground, the seed and the seed fell into it, there would be nothing that would happen. Do you know why? Because it could not push through that solid clay. Again, I'm reminded of those trails we often hike in the woods. And you can see it. Even when it rains, it just gets a little bit soggy and muddy. But it doesn't soften and loosen up the soil for seed. It would be futile to throw seed on such ground and expect anything to happen. A hardened heart. What is a hardened heart? A hardened heart is defiance. It is a heart that is in defiance and rebellion against God manifesting itself in a rejection of truth and a sinful refusal to hear God's word. A hardened heart is one who hears but refuses to respond or submit in faith to the truth. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that this is the state of the depraved fallen heart. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from their life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? Their hardness of heart. If that describes you this morning, then it means that your heart has been sealed from receiving divine truth. You're here, you've come, you're sitting, you're listening, but your arms are crossed and you will not listen and respond to the truth. In, 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 the, in the mind of a person who has hardened their heart, there is no God to whom you must be accountable. There is no fear of His holiness. There is no sin that you perceive that you must confess and repent of. If your heart is hardened this morning, there is no wrath that awaits you that you are to flee. And if your heart is hardened this morning to the truth of the gospel, there is no Christ to whom you believe that you must bow your knee with love and devotion. The gospel falls on the hardened heart and it never enters. It rolls around on the surface, but it never enters into the depth of the soul. If you have a hardened heart this morning, you are indifferent to the truth. You reject God and you hate the gospel. A hardened heart can be formed by self-righteous religion. Isn't that what the religious leaders Weren't their hearts hardened? They wouldn't hear it. They saw themselves as moral and righteous in no need of Christ and they would have nothing to do with Him. They would not acknowledge His Messiahship and they certainly would not admit their need for Him. Why? Because their hearts were hardened to the truth. Religion will harden you to the truth because you will believe the lie that you're okay before God rather in need of His love and salvation that has come through the gospel. 
But the reality is we live in a culture that is growing in its hostility towards divine truth. Many embrace a worldview that worships self, that, that practices self-reliance. We live in a time where people deny objective reality. And therefore, because there is no truth except the truth that I invent, I'm not going to hear the idea that there is a truth of salvation to which I must submit. Either way, whether we're talking about secular religion or we're talking about religion in terms of religiosity, self-righteous religion, hardened hearts refuse to believe and submit to Jesus Christ. And the word of the Hebrew writer, of the, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You see, the reality is, is to have a hardened heart is to be running headlong towards hell and towards judgment. To have a hardened heart is to be denying and refusing and rejecting the only message that can save you and deliver you from the wrath to come. A hardened heart is to reject the truth that you must be saved from your sin and you must be rescued from yourself and you must be restored in a right relationship with God. And that the only way to have a true, uh, satisfied life is to know God through saving faith in Jesus Christ. A hardened heart rejects that. And so what is sown is rejected in unbelief. But notice also, what is sown is removed by the enemy. I mean, let's not, let, let's not deny the, the, the reality here. There is a spiritual warfare, an unseen spiritual warfare that takes place when the gospel is preached. Satan loves a hardened heart. Satan loves, like the birds who snatch the seed from the hard path, he snatches every seedling of gospel truth. He doesn't want you to believe that you're a sinner. He doesn't want you to believe that there is, there is an eternity that awaits you after death. He doesn't want you to believe that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gape. He doesn't want anyone to believe that there is a Christ who is worthy of our worship and adoration. No, he wants to keep us in a rejection of divine truth. He loves skepticism. He loves unbelief. He loves to see people who are, who are, who, who are abandoning their faith in the truth. He wants us to be comfortable in our natural fallen condition. He wants us to love our sin. In fact, he wants us to celebrate sin. And he wants to prevent us from seeing the glory of Christ. In fact, he would rather us parade and celebrate our pride and rebellion and rejection, which, which, which is what our culture has made the entire month of June. And it's not just because it's about, because the, the pride is celebrating one specific sin, which is an abomination in the eyes of God, but it's the fact that we're living in a culture that wants to call good evil and evil good and then pridefully celebrate it in the face of God. And so, and, and, and what, is, what is the ultimate problem with that? It prevents us from seeing the glory and the grace in the face of Jesus Christ who came to die for wretched sinners like all of us and to be raised from the dead so that we may be right with the God who created us. The devil doesn't want to see us to see that. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So with that first soil comes a kingdom question. Okay? And this is for everyone here today. Is your heart hardened to the gospel and the truth of God? In unbelief. Are you going to sit here today and say, you know what? I'm not going to have anything to do with this gospel or with the truth that is revealed in Scripture. I pray that God will remove your the stone. The, 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 I, I pray that God will break through the stones that have been forming over your heart to open your eyes to the gospel. Well, there's a second soil here, and it's the rocky soil. 
The rocky soil is the superficial heart. Look what the text says. And, and, and as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Good signs. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. Two things to observe about this soil. There is outward profession with no inward depth. That's the first thing. There is an outward profession with no inward depth. This is good topsoil. But all you got to do is drive the shovel in and what you'll eventually hit is the stone, the limestone, the rocks. And while that good topsoil will, will, will sprout up something quite quickly, there's no roots that can drive down deep. And this is a person who hears the word, receives it media, immediately with joy, almost impulsively. And makes an outward profession of the gospel, but has no real inward transformation. They are perceptively excited about the truth. There's joy. However, it is all emotional and superficial. Listen to me. There were plenty of people that were at that beach on that day. And they, plenty of people that followed Jesus to that shoreline. Because he had fed them. Or met some physical need. But they weren't interested in Jesus. They were interested in what Jesus could do for them. Some experience that they could have. That is one of the toxic things about our own Christian culture today. Superficial hearts have belief with no repentance. Belief with no repentance. Even the devils believe, James says, and yet they tremble. Superficial hearts will take the cross, but they will not accept the cost. Superficial hearts seek the gifts of salvation rather than the giver of salvation. And do you know what fuels this? It's often ministers and methods that seek decisions instead of discipleship. If you have a superficial heart this morning, it means that you have a lot of head knowledge, but that head knowledge is an inch deep, and you will miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between your head and your heart. Because you have the head knowledge, but you have never experienced true biblical conversion produced by the Holy Spirit that results in a love for Christ and a devotion to Him. There's no roots. Isn't that the problem here? According to the text, he's no root in himself. Church, folks, listen, emotional experiences and fickle feelings are not indicators of true conversion. Just because you walked an aisle, just because you grew up in church, you walked an aisle, you repeated a prayer, you signed a card, you recited a religious formula, does not mean you have experienced biblical conversion. How many people, as I look back over the years, have I encountered in my, people that would say they're Christian, and then when I begin to have a conversation with them and I say, so tell me, how do you know your sins are forgiven? Share with me the gospel. And suddenly we're talking about, well, I go to church. I'm a good person. I mean, I try to keep the golden rule. And you look at people like that and you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, you've been in church. You, you've even been in environments where you've, you've heard the gospel. And your conclusion is that a Christian is a person who is just simply morally good. Morally good people go to hell. Only people who have embraced the saving gospel by saving faith through the work of the Spirit, are truly born again. And so that is why, as we think about preaching and teaching the Word, that's why we need to be careful with converts, especially when we're interacting with children and teenagers. We must guide them with biblical truth. It's not a matter that we should just immediately dismiss experiences, but we should always grid experiences. We should always take the gospel and grid any so-called experience is there a true understanding of sin and the nature of God? Is there a true awareness of judgment and unworthiness? Can a person, does a person truly understand the gospel, the truths of the gospel story? And we must help people understand that responding to the gospel 
is sincere repent, repentance and trust in Christ that involves a life that is rooted in Jesus and results in a lifelong love for him and desire to obey him and serve him. That's why true conversion is not a decision I made. It's an abiding in Christ. It's abiding in Christ. Isn't that what John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The evidence of true conversion is a deep abiding in Christ and the fruit that comes from the Spirit. True conversion means having gospel roots that bear gospel fruit. And one of the clearest fruits and evidence of salvation is a love for Christ, a desire to serve Him, not to be perfect, but to serve Him. And so what you see here with this, with this rocky soil is there's an outward profession with no inward depth. No real roots in Christ. All superficial. But the second thing is, is there's a temporary endurance with no lasting perseverance. Notice what happens to this. This person with a superficial heart, a shallow heart, quickly receives the word, endures for a little while. However, everything changes when the sun, when the glaring heat of problems and persecution arises in this person's life. Anything that existed is scorched. It's gone. The person with a shallow heart will quickly receive the word. They will endure for a little while but when problems and persecutions, those are the two things that arise, they will fall away. And I want you to notice here, listen, the problems here are not just the normal problems of life that we all face in a fallen realm. There are problems and persecution. Notice what the text says, on account of what? The word. On account of the word. In other words, the word will cost you. The true believer must understand that the world will hate you. You will not find popularity and prosperity if you embrace the true gospel and you seek to live a God-centered life. You will be misunderstood. You will be maligned. You will be ostracized if you follow Christ and submit to his word. Listen to me. If you follow Christ and embrace the gospel, you will be out of step with the culture. You will be on the wrong side of history. And you will even be despised by those who are culturally moral and spiritually religious, but reject the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to the platforms of every political party and the heart of every religious system. And here's what Jesus says. The one with the superficial heart, what happened when problems arose? What happened when persecution came? They fell away in the face of hostility. And by falling away, it doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means they never had salvation to begin with. There were no roots that were rooted in Christ and the gospel. It was all emotionalism. It was all experiential. It was all superficial. There was no true saving faith. And so as we think about the super, superficial heart, it causes us to ask this kingdom question. Do you have a superficial heart with no true roots in the gospel and no real commitment to Christ? Can you say that you're a believer today because you have seen yourself a sinner, that you are clinging to Jesus and his finished work and that because of what he has done for you, you love him and you are devoted to him forever. You see, the rocky soil is the superficial heart. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that the very persecutions and problems, those same persecutions and problems, Peter says, prove the genuineness of our faith. So they prove the genuineness of our faith. 
So if a person falls away because as a result of following Christ, their life has been turned upside down, they never possess saving faith. The rocky soil. That leads to the third soil, the weed-infested soil. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but notice the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Luke's gospel, Jesus adds, pleasures of the world and cares or the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches. The riches and the pleasures and all these things, they are weeds that are infesting the ground. This is the person that hears the word, but it is choked. And notice what the text says. It proves unfruitful. There is no real life or fruit because the heart is entangled by other things. Again, how are the, how are the hearers here entangled? Look at the text. They are distracted by the cares of the world. They are deceived by the riches of the world. The values of the world have overtaken the person's heart. The cares of this life to do that have to do with ambition and priorities that, that, that dominate the temporary realm. That, these people don't have time to think about eternity. They're not thinking about Christ. They're thinking about their self and their kingdom. It means being consumed by the things that are trivial, unimportant, at the expense of the eternal. It means that we, in this case, a person values worldly commitments and priorities and pleasures over one's devotion to Christ. I will not give up that sin because that sin has its, it, it, it has its weeds are all around my heart. So I can't give up that sin. I can't commit myself to Christ because my heart is entangled by other things. Some people who hear the word, and it might be you today, feel no urgency because other things have more importance. We're so, you're, you're so consumed with working your job, building your retirement, managing your investments, tinkering at your hobbies, playing your games, and building your kingdom because it's what's most important. You've given no thought to the fact that one day you will die and stand before a living God, and none of those things will have any eternal significance. Those things have gripped your heart like weeds that have grown up around good crops and is now choking you from seeing the truth. Remember the men that came to Jesus in Luke 9? They wanted to follow Jesus, but the one, he said, well, wait a minute, i got to go back home and i got to work out some inheritance issues because my dad died. And you know what Jesus said? Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. In other words, the problem wasn't that he loved his father. The problem was that he really wasn't seeing that Christ and his kingdom is the highest of all priorities. And so, as we think about that, some of us hear the word, but we don't feel that urgency. This has nothing to do with enjoying the things God has created or loving the good things and people around us. This is not an indictment about hard work or industry. It's not even an indictment or it's not even suggesting that having, having some form of wealth is wrong. It is a reminder that some people do not have time for the word of God and will not heed the truth of the gospel because some sin has gripped their soul. Some pleasure they will not give up. Riches that have blinded them from the eternal riches of God's kingdom. The deceiving thought that this, the here and now, is what's going to last forever. So whether you're young or you're old or in between, let this, let, hear this. None of this is going to last forever. And therefore, nothing in our earthly kingdoms has any eternal significance to the extent that it should keep us from seeing the state of our soul and the demand of our Savior. Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, money's not the issue, but it's a love of money. It is to be ensnared with an obsession over earthly riches and earthly pleasures at the expense of the eternal kingdom of God. And the result is clear. Again, the text, the word is choked. It's deprived of any power. Because that sin, that pleasure, those treasures, even good earthly things can become idols in our life that keep us from seeing or hearing the message of the kingdom. And so the kingdom question that this brings to us is this. 
Do you have an entangled heart? Do you? What's entangled your heart right now? What is the sin in your life that you are refusing to repent of? You hear the truth. You know that there is sin that's there. You know that there is an eternity that awaits. You know there's a God before whom you stand. But you're believing the lie that you just have all the time in the world. You're just holding on to that one thing that you think is the meaning and purpose of life. And you're holding on to it so strongly that you're willing to forfeit your soul for the things of the world. What are the things entangling your heart and choking out God's word? Matthew 16, Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Nothing is more important than your soul. It is eternal. And so the seed that falls on this soil will not take root and will not produce fruit. Because it has, been, it, it, has, it has sprouted, but it has been completely choked. What about you this morning? And that leads to the fourth and final soil, the good soil. Look at verse 23. And, and Jesus really concludes the parable quite quickly. He says in verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. And so Jesus comes to the final soil and the very end of the parable. And he says, and this seed fell on the good soil. But what makes this seed soil good? Is it because the soil is innately good? Is it because this soil is just superior to all the other soils? No. It is the grace of God that makes this soil good because there is no good in any of our hearts we cannot unharden our hearts we cannot remove the weeds and the thorns that grow up we cannot create depth for roots but god in his grace through the gospel can this person hears the gospel believes the gospel surrenders to christ and has true, complete understanding of the kingdom. That's what the text says. He understands. And as hearing with understanding, what happens? There's an explosion of fruit. Look at the text. He, bears, he yields fruit. He bears fruit and he yields a harvest. One hundredfold, sixty, and other thirty. And the numbers there, the figures are outrageous. I mean, they're like a hundred times a normal harvest. In real life, that wouldn't happen. But Jesus uses this as a form of exaggeration to illustrate the power of the Word of God that falls upon a heart that has been prepared by the Holy Spirit. There is belief, there is faith, there is repentance, and there is an explosion of fruit in that person's life, and the harvest is astonishing. This person exceeds all expectation. Why? Because their life is transformed. What is that fruit? A love for Christ, a hunger for his word, a devotion to his kingdom, and a life that is marked by godliness. He bears fruit, and that fruit is abundant fruit. Is your heart, why? Because the heart is receptive. Yes, the Holy Spirit has to prepare that heart. But at the end of the day, you must receive the gospel. You must repent of your sin. You must believe the truth of the kingdom. And for those of us, as we look at this in the church, we understand then, That the word is what does the work. The soil is good because the spirit prepared it. It is the spirit of God that convicts us of sin, enlightens our mind, melts the heart of stone, and gives us a new heart. Only the word of God can do that. That's why Spurgeon said our duty is not measured by the character of our hearers, but by the command of our God. We are bound to preach the gospel, whether men will hear or whether they will forbear. It is ours to sow beside all waters, 
Let men's hearts be what they may. The minister must preach the gospel to them. He must sow the seed on the rock as well as in the furrow, on the highway as well as in the plowed field. And when there is a harvest, it will be because God produced it. And so that leads to this kingdom question. Have you received the gospel by saving faith? Have you? And if you say, yes, I have received the gospel by saving faith, what's the evidence? If you were going to be tried and convicted of being a Christian, would there be evidence that could be brought to a court of law to convict you? What is the evidence in your life that demonstrates that you have truly received the gospel of Christ? And so in conclusion, this parable is really an invitation Because Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. What kind of soil symbolizes your heart this morning? You say, well, I have a hardened heart. Then would you fall on your knees and cry out to God to soften your heart and open your eyes to the truth of the gospel so that you may believe and be saved and have eternal life? What soil symbolizes your heart? Is it superficial and rocky? Is it weed infested? What is it that you need to come to God and say, God, do the work in my heart and remove these things so my heart will be good soil so that I can be saved and serve your kingdom? How will you respond to the word? Isn't that the issue? The issue here that Jesus faces is not, do they hear what he's saying? It's will you respond to the truth? And then for us who are believers, will we spread the seed of the kingdom? Maybe you need to respond today. Maybe you need to come forward and you need to ask for prayer. And maybe it is that you need to respond and say, I need to do something in my life and to respond to the truth and I need help. Well, the invitation as we sing will be for you. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we prepare to worship and to respond to this message before we observe communion. Father, we thank you for your holy and inspired word and pray now that you do the work in our heart through the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's one here that has been holding on to things that have gripped their heart and they need need you to remove those things so they can receive Christ. Maybe there's one here today whose heart has been hardened and they need their eyes opened and they need to be raised from spiritual death in order to believe. Maybe there's some here who have superficial religious experiences, but they've never really truly believed the gospel. May they do that today. God, may you till our hearts. May you do the work within us. May we respond accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen.